Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It's your local community radio station. My name is Andy and I'll be hanging out with you for the next hour broadcasting on Jagera and Turable Country as we do every week. Uh, today on the show, we are going to be talking about an anniversary, a significant anniversary, but one that you will not see mentioned very much in our media this weekend. But Sunday marks 70 years since the first nuclear weapon was detonated on Australian uh, land at Emu Fields near the sort of West Australian, South Australian, Northern Territory borders. It was done by the British testing their own nuclear weapons and it had very dramatic effects. The, something went wrong, as tends to happen with nuclear weapons, it should be said, something goes wrong and there was a thick black mist released uh, from the nuclear weapon and it poisoned uh, many of the Aboriginal people living in the area, the Yankee people, who bore the, the scars from that for the rest of their life and still do generationally, as we'll find out on today's show. I speak to Karina Lester. Her father, Yami Lester, was blinded. He was nine years old when the nuclear bomb was detonated on his country. Um, obviously, he had not been told beforehand, and he was blinded and spent the rest of his life struggling um, to get justice for the people affected by that bomb and the other nuclear weapons that were detonated at Emu Fields there and then later at Maralinga. And then, of course, in South Australia, there's been a, a consistent need for Aboriginal people to fight against the nuclear industry on their country. And we will hear about that as well. Over the course of the show, today we'll hear from Uncle Kevin Buzzacott, who uh, is Arabana elder on his country, is the world's biggest uranium mine, the Olympic Dam mine at Roxby Downs. Um, and Uncle Kev has been uh, resisting that mine for a long, long time now, over three decades. And we'll also hear from Arnie Dawn Taylor, who is Bangala elder, and the most recent fight for South Australian Aboriginal people against the nuclear industry was Bangla people trying to stop a nuclear waste dump being built on their land. And a couple of months ago, they did win in court, stopping that nuclear waste dump from being built. 
And we'll hear from Arnie Dawn about that. Those last two interviews, Uncle Kev and Arnie Dawn, were recorded by the Radioactive Show on 3CR, excellent community radio station in Melbourne. Um, The Radioactive Show for a long, long time has been um, sharing the stories of Aboriginal people and everybody else who is trying to stop the... um, the long-term contamination that comes from the nuclear cycle and it's hard to get onto some of these folks out in the desert and so I was glad to be able to reuse a bit of material from the radioactive show. So anyway, that is what's coming up. Uh, I better get straight into it because it's got a lot of content and it is quite powerful. It's, um, I think, stories of... I guess the nuclear industry and particularly nuclear weapons just really bring in big existential questions about what do we want our life to look like on this planet as a human species um, and as, you know, a nation that produces a lot of uranium that is exported around the world um, and potentially, you know, Australia is still talking about uh, small modular nuclear reactors is the latest uh thing that the mining industry is trying to push onto the australian public through their lackeys in government um but also of course nuclear submarines now we're talking about having floating nuclear reactors um so we can fight american wars in our region basically and um the effects of the nuclear weapons and the nuclear industry are huge in the short term they can be totally catastrophic but also they last a long long time much longer than any of us will ever live or probably our civilization will ever live um our legacy will be this toxic waste and toxic radioactive particles and so it really does bring up big questions and the story we'll hear from karina lester now about um her aboriginal nation and her family is a a, quite a moving story as well so Let's hear from Karina. My name's Karina Lester. I'm a Yangunyara woman who lives up on the Arnongal Bidinyara Yangunyara lands, um, but I also work for a small team called the Mobile Language Team at the University of Adelaide, and we work on Aboriginal languages in the state of South Australia. And today I'm talking to you because it's a significant anniversary for uh, young and younger people it is 70 years this weekend since the first nuclear weapon was detonated in australia um on your father's country i guess can you tell us a bit about uh, that story and why it's a significant anniversary yeah well come the 15th of october 2023 it'll mark the 70th anniversary it's not really an anniversary i think it's really you know i always relate to anniversaries as celebrations but this one is a a bit of a sad story andy in that you know the british government and the australian government decided to run a nuclear testing program on the soil of australia's soil um, in the state of south australia and emu was the first mainland test so there were two atom bombs detonated there the first one of course being the 15th of october and that was totem one and then the second was detonated on the 27th of october 1953 so 70 years ago this month there were two mainland tests that were conducted on australian soil so you know i think the 70th is really just to 
again remind fellow Australians out there of what our past involved and what happened um, and to really most importantly for my family and my late father Yami Lester to um, keep his story alive because he really was instrumental in bringing that awareness to the community and, and involved in the Royal Commission into the um, British testing um, and those that Royal Commission took place in the early 1980s and it really exposed the story of what happened in our state of South Australia because after Emu Field they continued down to Maralingujarraja where the program continued on down there as well. So our state of South Australia wears a lot of scars of nuclear bomb tests. Yeah, and your family in particular was very affected. Your father, Yami, was um, a young boy at the time and his life was forever affected by the bomb, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, you know, it was early that morning on that day when Dad felt the ground shook, shake. Um, people were here living in this community and I'm actually coming from... The very location to Andy. I'm up at Wallatina at Wallajara um, on the Anangobinjara Yangunjara lands, and it was this very location when you know the ground shook and this black mist rolled over the main camp, and people's lives changed dramatically. You know, the older generation um, who felt the fallout and and saw this black mist were really impacted many of them became really sick and and many passed older generation and then you know dad's mothers and her sisters had skin rashes and sore eyes and you know with dad's story he became very um ill and also lost his sight from those tests but it was a slow gradual process and four years after, he became completely blind. And, um, yeah, and, and his world changed dramatically. His world went into darkness. And it wasn't from his actions. It was from actions of governments of the day who decided to test no consideration for First Nations peoples, for Arnold let alone civilians who were working perhaps in the nearby pastoral leases, you know. Um, there's families that have been exposed to this and those stories need to be told. Yeah, um, for the Yangonyara people, it would have been a, a great shock. They would have had no concept of what this thing was that had happened. What was the communication like from the government at the time or was there any follow-up afterwards? Look, Andy, no communication, none whatsoever. One patrol officer, Mr McDougall, who had a huge job of driving around almost a third, maybe even half the state of South Australia to inform people he could communicate to because he wasn't a Yangunyara speaker, let alone a Binyara speaker as well. He was an English 
person who, you know, spoke with the pastoralists and Dad and his people were here at Wallatina working for Mr and Mrs Cullinan at the time. So Mr McDougall did speak with the pastoralists, Mr Cullinan and Mrs Cullinan, but no communication to Arnungu because our language is Yarawanga. So Arnungu had no concept and no idea of what was about to occur um, early that morning. And, you know, as perhaps a date was exchanged with Mr Cullinan and Mr McDougall and they may have been aware, but that morning really came as a shock and then great fear within that community and with you know within my own people people panicked people didn't know what this black mist was as it approached silently through the bushes and you know we live outside none of mob were living my grandmothers were living grandfathers were living out on country in the open country they know about dust storms and wind and you know what comes with dust storms but this black sooty smoke just rolled silently and left a trail of smelly like soot on the leaves of the trees on country and on, and on people and people became very violently ill and like I said many passed and our worlds changed dramatically so you know, there was no communication of what was about to happen and what was going to occur as in the aftermath. Then, you know, people really started to suffer and country became quite sick as well. Did the Yungunyara people stay there on country in that area that was affected by the black mist or did people leave? People did stay around working because it was at that time Andy people were working in this pastoral industry that we have here in South Australia and many of my dad's and dad's people were working for the surrounding pastoralists and so people did start to become sick and of course people did move on um, especially those who were closely related to the elderly that had passed they had moved perhaps up to Granite Downs, so further sort of northeast from Wallagata, and some moved further east towards Udnadatta area, but that fallout did move in that direction. It fell over north from, because Wallatin is north from the test site, it fell north in a north-northeasterly direction. The black mist rolled and, and fell over our country. So people moved, but as people sort of moved away from Wallagata, they moved in the direction of where, you know, the, the cloud had sort of fallen over. So, again, trying to look for work, but also trying to, you know, get assistance and help um, that they needed because the railway line at Udnadatta was operating at the time and so people moved easterly and within my own family story dad on many occasions was put onto that train onto the GAN and traveled down to Port Augusta for his medical appointments because that was the only real 
transport route available for us up this way at the time. So, you know, people did move eventually. And But, again, it was also their traditional lands too, Andy. So they have this spiritual and cultural connect that we are a part of this country. We're Yangunyara people connected to the Yangunyara stories that are recorded all through our country. And people always came home. And, you know, I'm a classic example. I'm back home on country. And, you know, people had to move, but people also came home. Your father, um, I guess he was very affected, as he said. He went blind as a young man. But um, the rest of his life was really spent putting a lot of effort into uh, talking about this and um, educating people about the nuclear industry. Can you tell us a bit about the rest of your father's life? For his youngest daughter, you know, Dad was always Dad to me, but, of course, he went on and achieved many amazing things over his lifetime you know at that time and I always sort of reflect around the time of that royal commission um, just before the nuclear um, royal commission into the British nuclear tests the probably a year or two we had received our traditional lands the Yanagunyara lands back in 1981 Um, so he had achieved that with his people He then pushed for the Royal Commission into the British nuclear tests. Um, And in 1985, he worked tirelessly for the handback of Uluru, Karayuda National Park, and went on and achieved that as well with his people. And, you know, I I look back in, in particular that period of time, like I was only young, but Dad was incredibly busy and... Mum was incredibly busy looking after the children. There's three children. um, And that time in the early 1980s, Dad had achieved so many amazing and wonderful things. And, you know, even with his disability, but he had amazing people around him, good family, friends and and people wanting to help Arnungo and, and help him. And so he continued to do all these wonderful, amazing and, you know, national historical achievements, land rights, handback, royal commissions. And as a young daughter, I saw that as dad's work. But as an older woman now with four children of my own, I I look back and think... Dad made history. Yeah, that's right. An amazing, amazing life legacy, you know. Um, you mentioned before South Australia um, and the the scars it carries, and of course, the it didn't end with Maralinga um, because there's been the Olympic Dam uranium mine built there. Of course, the biggest uranium mine in the world, and there's been a consistent push for a nuclear waste dump to be built in South Australia. But Aboriginal people in South Australia have been resisting this a lot, haven't they? Absolutely, Andy. And it's like we don't have a life. Our life is constantly fighting for justice. And this is all about, 
you know, the past and, and things that have gone terribly wrong for First Nations peoples and South Australia continues to struggle in this space and First Nations, Arnungu and Kugada and Andigirinya and Maduyangunyara mob, you know, we are bungalow mob, we are constantly pressured by governments of the day to be the solution of something that they have no knowledge of how to manage. My journey, my personal journey, Andy has moved into that space of campaigning against waste dumps because my nana was heavily involved in the first waste dump proposal in South Australia and she was a big part of the Gulbabidi Gungwajura and they made history again by putting legislation in, in our government, in our state government, to prohibit anything nuclear in our state of South Australia and it was a, a seven-year campaign of just constantly talking up and one thing I learned from that campaign, the Yerariwandi campaign, was that Nanamob were not only worried about us as the next generation but they were worried about the truck driver who was going to be transporting that nuclear waste to our state of South Australia coming from New South Wales and you know it it really wasn't just an Arnungo issue a black issue it was Australia's issue and they campaigned hard and we did that and Nana was successful and as I said she put in legislation so you know my story came involved in that campaign work. I, I worked very closely with Nana again, working as an Arnold interpreter, again, to get her story out. And, you know, all my grandmothers and aunties who were heavily involved in that campaign, it was really important for us to get their words out in their language and, and for my role to interpret um, their words as well. And they were very strong culturally, you know, important law women who had cultural responsibilities and that's where I kind of started my personal journey as well knowing dad's story and knowing how that had impacted you know the the nuclear testing program had impacted on dad but also moving into campaigning against waste dumps and again royal commissions in the 19 you know 2015 2016 and 17 we were um actually trying to um campaign against a royal commission into the nuclear fuel cycle so um you know it's it's been a tireless and long generational story for us here in south australia and in my family in particular too yeah and it's still going of course the most recent one it was the court victory this year by um uh, bangala people at kimber against the waste dump there but it this year it's been in the news a lot um the liberal party's consistently talking up nuclear power and of course we've got uh, potentially nuclear submarines coming into this country. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on this? The fact that this it never seems to go away and it just keeps coming back. These conversations. 
Yeah, it's an ongoing struggle. It really is. And, you know, like I said, it's it's as if we don't have lives ourselves. We have children. We have our own family, our own jobs, our own lives to live. And then governments of the day decide to... Um, you know, run a royal commission into the nuclear fuel cycle or, you know, pressure us to for our traditional lands to be the waste dump of, um, you know, the, the state and the nation or perhaps international waste dump of the world. So, you know, it's an ongoing struggle and, you know, there, there are so many injustices being done on First Nations peoples and it is exhausting and it is generational and people need to know this. Um, fellow Australians need to know this on how it's impacting on First Nations peoples. Well, Karina, it has been a real struggle for your family, but you certainly have done a lot of incredible work yourself and, and your father and your nana, as you said, and um, for everybody, you know, for future generations, potentially tens of thousands of years into the future. And so I really want to thank you very much for all the work that yourself and your family have put in. Thank you, Andy. I'm really grateful for doing this interview with you. You know, I want to bring this attention to my fellow Australians and let them know of our story and our truth-telling of what happened to Arnaudra, Binyara Yangunyara mob, because of, you know, governments making a decision um, that had a huge impact, a generational impact on, on First Nations peoples of the state of South Australia. And so, you know, this is not over. No doubt the waste dump issue will be raised again and we Australians need to fight this. All right. Thanks very much, Karina. You're welcome. Thanks, Andy. I really appreciate it. That was Karina Lester. Her father, Yami Lester, was blinded by the first atom bomb dropped in Australia at Emu Fields 70 years ago this Sunday. And Karina and her family have been resisting the nuclear industry ever since. As you heard, not just seeking justice for the Aboriginal people affected by the bombings at Emu Fields and Maralinga, but also being part of a struggle against the first proposed nuclear waste dump in South Australia on Kukata country, which the Kukata people and also uh, a group of women who were called the Gubapiti Kungajuda, um, which I think means uh, a group of Piti old women who got together to oppose that and were successful. It's part of a long, long struggle that South Australian Aboriginal people have had against the nuclear industry, um, which considers all that land its own to use for whatever it wants. Um, dropping nuclear weapons, digging up uranium, uh, building nuclear waste dumps, and Aboriginal people have consistently, over the last 70 years, had to push back against the nuclear industry, uh, treating that country as if it can do whatever it wants, it can poison it. And one of them is Uncle Kevin Buzzacott, who is a... Uh, Arabana Elder on his country is the world's biggest uranium mine, the Olympic Dam mine at Roxby Downs. Um, I've got a little recording here of Uncle Kev that was made by the radioactive show on 3CR. You will occasionally hear uh, M Crunch from that show 
interjecting, but mostly it's just Uncle Kevin talking about his uh, life resisting the nuclear industry on his country. Anyhow, I'm Kevin Buzzcott, uh, other than an elder and peacemaker, combating this uh, horrible industry, which is uranium. Uh, we want to shut down the Olympic Dam. And also in South Australia, we've got uh, the uh, big waste threat. Waste is a horrible thing, and we've told a lot of these people way back, even some of the old elders that I knew before, were told that uh, told the industry and the government and the mining companies do not, uh, not to uh, develop uranium, leave it where it is. And uh, so now they've got all this waste, they want to put it on some beautiful country and mm. destroy that environment and also you know, they've got to stop conning and tricking people. Mm. I think people like us that's been out there and you know friends of the earth, the raptors and all our mob there uh, having gatherings and stuff up there and talking to them, I think we kept them honest. Mm. If it hadn't have been for us out there singing out about against this uh, horrible industry uh, they'd probably just go ahead boots and all you know they'd dig the country up rip it up kill it and poison people mm. that's the other thing that surfacing now i've been out for some time and it's only this last couple of years we've just lost a lot of people. Mm. Since the birth of the uh, development of the Olympic Dam, uh, we have lost a lot of people, young and old, mm. from sicknesses that unheard of. It was never in that area before. <coughs> Other than, I mean, way back, the Maralinga bombs, pests, and uh, Woman rocket range stuff that we couldn't record stuff them days and how many people died and all that and how many people got sick from that area but I tell you what with the with the with the development of Olympic Dam it's just slaughtered us we're just dying mm. left right and centre and like I said, there's all these sicknesses, heart attack, cancer, dialysis, all these sicknesses that I've heard of in my time. Mm. And uh, it only happened since the development of these horrible places. Mm. And uh, the thing is with us, is that we have to look after the country and uh, if we don't look after the country, well, it comes back and bites you. Mm. And that's what I've been telling uh, some of these bad guys as well. Don't get caught up in it. Don't get conned. Don't get tricked. Uh, don't worry about the bloody money, because the money will kill you. Mm. That's about what's happening with people. Because for us to survive, we must have a good land, we must look after our land. 
and uh, look after ourselves and at the moment we're not actually doing that we're just suffering mm. from the bad uh, decisions made by the government and the people you know mm. uh, I mean they are, they'll argue that uh, these places have got to be there for uh, so it creates jobs for people but uh, what was happening before the mines come started you know people were working and happy where they was you know I've got to get a good clean job not a, a blood money a bloodbath money mm. job uh, sell your soul you know it's not only just my our uh, argument this is everybody's argument because you're aiding by now Everybody should know what happens to it when it goes through its process and it ends up being a gun or make a bomb out of it and the wars and killing people, killing millions and millions of people. Mm. And uh, this is where we've got to stop this and make the world a better place, a purer place. And we've got so much repair, repairs to do with the land as well as our own minds and bodies and there's so many sick people out there if we don't start doing it now I think we're going to be might be too late it's pretty well too far gone already so to speak but I I believe that we can stop it and we can be better people for it at the end of the day is that what what's kept you going all these years? I guess it's been more than thirty years <coughs> fighting Olympic Dam and more broadly the nuclear industry. What's kept you going through all those years? You know what? Funny you ask me that when I only thought about all that this morning. I think about it a lot actually, but this morning I was really into that thinking about why am I doing this? You know, I'm pushing seventy or something now, and. Uh, I asked myself why am I still out there doing it? Well, it's like I have to do it because my main existence, that's why I exist, if I can say that word, that uh, is to care for the land and love the land. And I tell you what, I really love that old desert. And uh, even the... Bell Lake and all the Mount Springs that this Olympic Dam has taken over uh, from our area. It's a purpose in life that just saving the environment mm. that you, me and our kids and our future uh, it depends on. So, you know, everybody, we want a good clean environment. We don't want to uh, poison old, you know, poison place. We want it all fresh for ourselves, the sick ones and the little ones. So, you know, get on board. You're missing out, you know, you miss out otherwise. We were hearing from Kevin Buzzcott, Arabana Elder, talking about his history of fighting against the BHP's uranium mine at Roxby Downs, which is on his Arabana country. Um, the most recent struggle that Aboriginal people in this country have had against the nuclear industry was the Bangla people in South Australia trying to stop the latest iteration of the nuclear waste dump. 
that has taken different forms over the years. At one point, it was proposed that an international nuclear waste dump would be built in Australia. This one was supposed to be just intermediate, low-level intermediate waste. But, of course, since then, there's been the announcement of AUKUS and the fact that Australia will have nuclear-powered submarines potentially generating high-level nuclear waste. And where did they think that was going to go? Um, and so the Bangla people uh, resisted the waste dump being built at Kimber, and they were successful in the end. They had a victory in court uh, where they said that there'd been no proper process that actually the Liberal government at the time, Keith Pitt, the Resources Minister, had just picked a place without doing any of the process they were supposed to do. And so it was thrown out in court and the Labor government said that they won't keep pursuing a nuclear waste dump there. Uh, just after that announcement by the Labor government, Radioactive Show on 3CR spoke to Arnie Dawn-Taylor, who is a Bangla elder. Um, they started off by asking her how she was feeling. I am just really glad to get over the line. It's like the old saying, you don't miss a Yeah, you put up an amazing challenge over the last six years, is it now, that you've been fighting against this? The last six years, yes, we have. Well, give and take. Probably about seven years, I reckon. Yeah. But, yeah, I've been fighting for about the last three years, but it's like I've told everybody, you know, being a born in Kimber and raised in Kimber and, you know, we're the ones that site was where we used to go out all the time. We used to walk for miles around Kimber. And I've told everybody, you know, that is, right, well, it is a sacred site, you know, because grandparents and everybody used to go through there. They walked from Woodner to settle in Kimber. I am really, now I got really emotional with, with the court hearing and I've also got a bit of emotional when I heard Madeline King was um, pulling the plug on it, put it that way. I'm still reeling about the verdict, but I'm also a bit concerned about where they want to go next. Our Bungla people are happy that we're not going to have um, poison on our land. You know, it's means a lot to us because the reason is is because we you know it's bungalow land and the bungalow people want our country to stay like that it's like i've always said you know and i keep on saying it's not about the money it's about the country and how beautiful it is even the farmers will build it up you did say that you're worried about where it might go now and i think that's something that you know everyone in the anti-nuclear movement as well holds that concern about will another remote dump site on sacred land or a different aboriginal country be selected or what will the next steps be did you have any thoughts to share about what future proposals there might be or even that kind of solidarity for other people who may have to oppose poison going onto their lands well a lot of people told us that, you know, being Bungla, that we wouldn't be able to, you know, win against the government. The Bungla people proved it wrong. You know, we we fought against the government and we won our case. You know, there's no dump on that case, on that land. So, if you put it one way, we fought the government, you know, the Bungla people fought the government and the Bungla people won. 
say to everybody else, if it goes on their land, you know, each traditional group, tribal group that's around, fight the government, don't stand, don't stand back, don't shut up, just keep fighting them until you get get what you really want is for no poison on your land. Yeah, it's really inspiring and is part of a long history of resistance, particularly in what's now known as South Australia. And when the Napandi site was first announced, did you know much about uh, the previous struggles or about the issue of nuclear waste? Well, we had heard that um, they had um, planned on putting it up in the Flinders Ranges, you know, and we heard that they had won the case up there with no nap, um, waste dump being put in the Flinders Ranges. My thoughts were we, we would never, you know, there were three sites that was that come up, but Nap and B apparently they just picked it out of a box and Nap and, B was, Nap and D was the next one on the list. When I first heard about it and how close it is to Kimber, my heart, my stress levels just grew so, so much that I had, to, I had to fight because of my grandparents, my ancestors, and that would would have wanted me to go this far and not get it on our land. Amazing! Such a strong legacy that you're carrying, and as we can see from this week, recent win and protection of country your efforts to keep up the fight have really contributed to saving the significant sites and hopefully you and Bangla people can now, you know, look, not have to be defending against something so negative and actually look to really positive ways of having that native title and some more security over your land. Well, I can't think on the positive side at the moment. I think positive because we won. But until they leave that land, until everything is gone off that land and they've restored it, then I'll be able to, my stress levels will come down. But until then, I don't think I'll be able to relax until I know they've actually gone from Kimber. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Tell us a bit about the work that has been undertaken at the site and if you know anything about how any... Well, the government has let them go ahead and done characteristic work characterisation work. It's been a long haul, but we've done it. We've, we've, we've stopped all that there through the minister. The minister, we had a meeting with the minister in Kimber and, you know, they went ahead and done work behind our backs, but everything is, yeah, they had to stop it straight away because we was going, we was going through the um, court proceedings and when we found out that we won that case, everything had to stop. And now, because yesterday when we were there, we had to hear that we heard that she um, wasn't going to appear was even a better outcome because we know that work has got to stop. And everything on that land that they've done, like they started they drilling and doing um, sampling and things like that there, that that's got to all be revegetated. During this time that you've been fighting against the nuclear waste dump. The federal government announced the AUKUS pack with the nuclear submarines. That will mean there will be very high-level, long-lived waste. Did that impact how you felt? That, yeah, that had a big impact because um, when they 
announced that there about the you know high high level waste dump. That was the first thought I had in my mind about Kimber. You know, even though they said it was low level and medium level radioactive waste dump, the first thing I thought about was a high level and how how it can you know spill. You can have a spillage somewhere. You can have an accident somewhere. You know, and destroy the land altogether. What's going to happen then? You know, I my point is if you if you know that that country that means a lot to you, stand up, speak up, and don't shut up. Let them hear what you have to say about that land. Strong words. Thank you, Don. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. That is Ani Dawn Taylor there, Bangla Elder, talking about their successful fight to stop a nuclear waste dump being built at Kimber. And it will be an ongoing issue. Of course, we, you know, uh, Lucas Heights Nuclear Reactor does um, generate nuclear waste. And so we do have to store it somewhere and we have to be uh, very. Careful. We have to very carefully think about how we're going to store it because we're dealing with something that will last a long, long time. As I said, it will long outlast our own lives and our responsibility to future generations is to not leave this super hazardous material around where it will forever be a, um, a danger. And so we do need to work out something. But, of course, at the moment with the continual lobbying of not just the nuclear mining and power industry, which are big corporations who definitely have the ear of um, some politicians like National Party politicians like Keith Pitt, um, as well as the pressure now of uh, nuclear-powered submarines and potentially more nuclear weapons being made now in a situation, global conflict between nuclear powers. Um, You know, we shouldn't be trying to build things that can encourage the growth of this thing if we are against it the further proliferation of nuclear weapons and nuclear power then we should be trying to resist things that will make it easier for it to grow and aboriginal people as all of the ones we've heard from today karina lester arnie dawn and uncle kevin they've all said you know that we have a responsibility to our country to look after and that's been the great motivating thing um for them to fight against people who see this land as only um, a quarry to be excavated or vacant space to have nuclear weapons dropped on it. And so the the struggle will go on to protect our country from uh, those who, who don't care for it. And it's worth remembering things like this, that 70 years ago this weekend, um, a nuclear weapon was dropped on Aboriginal people, essentially the fallout, um, without bothering to tell them first or going to check on them afterwards or anything like that. And that is the history of this country. Um, and we don't want it to be the future. And so in lots of ways, we should be trying to uh, make our country and our world better, more just, more caring. Um, that's about all we have time for on the Paradigm Shift. See you next week.